Welcome to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett McGarry. This week, we saw a friendly neighborhood movie trailer light the world of pop culture on fire. We'll tell you about the record-breaking shenanigans of Spider-Man. Plus... I'm Jeff Braun. The summer of Cena continues with John Cena's third movie since June. I'll review Vacation Friends. And I'll review a wonderful new mystery comedy series starring Steve Martin and Martin Short called Only Murders in the Building. And from the better late than never pile, I finally started watching a TV show that's been on my radar for over 15 years. Talking about Deadwood. Wow, this was a big week for Marvel as they put on the full court press to get us ready for the next few months at the movies, including the release of the first trailer for Marvel and Sony for Spider-Man No Way Home. That's right, folks. Spider-Man is, in fact, Peter Parker. Listen, I did not kill Mysterio. The drones did. The drones that are yours. Does any part of you feel relieved about all this? What do you mean? Now that everybody knows, you don't really have to hide or lie to people. For the record, I never wanted to lie to you. But how do you tell someone that you're Spider-Man? Now everybody knows. But this isn't about me. This is hurting a lot of people. I've just been thinking about how to fix all of this. So, after he was unmasked, he was identified at the end of the last movie, Far From Home, by Mysterio, Peter Parker realizes maybe there is someone who could fix all this. The master of the mystic arts, Doctor Strange. So, Peter, to what do I owe the pleasure? I'm sorry to bother you, sir. Please, we saved half the universe together. I think we're beyond you calling me, sir. Okay. Steven. That feels weird, but I'll allow it. LOL. When Mysterio revealed my identity, my entire life got screwed up. I was wondering if maybe you could make it so that he never did. Strange. Don't cast that spell. It's too dangerous. Fine. I won't. The entire world is about to forget that Peter Parker is Spider-Man. Wait, everyone? Can't some people still know? That's not how the spell works. So MJ's gonna forget about everything we've ever been through? Stop tampering with the spell. Oh my God, Ned, he's my best friend. My Aunt May should really- Stop talking. happened. Peter Parker yapping during the spell screwed it up. That's what happened. He opened the gate to the multiverse. We tampered with the stability of space-time. The multiverse is a concept about which we know frighteningly little. The problem is you trying to live two different lives. The longer you do it, the more dangerous it becomes. (laughs) 
from the Marvel Cinematic Universe to the Raimi-verse. You heard at the end there, The Laugh of the Green Goblin. Norman Osborn, as played by Willem Dafoe 20 years ago in the Sam Raimi-directed Spider-Man. The laugh was accompanied by the sight of one of his pumpkin bombs. And then there's another familiar addition at the end of the trailer. Be careful what you wish for, Parker. Hello, Peter. I love how they use that cartoon theme song in an orchestral version in this trailer. Yeah, the medical tent, the metal tentacle comes storming into the screen at the end, followed by Alfred Molina as Dr. Octopus from Spider-Man 2. People went nuts for this trailer. It set a record for views in 24 hours with 355 million, beating the record set by Avengers Endgame, which had 289 million back in 2019. So the idea that they're bringing in past villains, I think, is so cool. But the trailer did not include Tobey Maguire or Andrew Garfield as their versions of Spider-Man. Nothing's official on that front yet, as of this recording on Thursday afternoon. But that's been the rumor for so long now that they're back and we'll have all three Spider-Men on screen as they battle various familiar bad guys, including Jamie Foxx's Electro from The Amazing Spider-Man 2 and possibly even the Sandman from Spider-Man 3. It debuts in theaters December 17th. Jeff Braun, what did you think? Dear God, please let it also include Paul Giamatti as the Rhino from oh. Spider-Man 2. <laughs> I liked him as the Rhino. <laughs> Me too, but he was hardly in it, you know? You And we never got the amazing Spider-Man 3 because that second one was just terrible. But I do think I'm going to have to go on a seven-movie uh, Spider-Man marathon before this puppy comes out in theaters on December 17th just to make sure, you know, you catch all the little winks and callbacks to those old movies, aside from just the characters that'll be there. And, I mean, they haven't said it officially, but as if Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield aren't going to be in this movie, they're going to be in it. People got all excited. Oh, my God, they showed Doc Ock. And I was like, well, didn't we already know he was going to be in this movie? As an Alfred Molina said that himself for, like, over a year already. Yeah. Um, It was was just good to see it, though, and, and to get now some, you know, physical evidence that, about the multiverse that the MCU has been teasing for quite some time already. So I'm excited to get a Spider-Man movie because I think these Spider-Man movies are the second best little franchise within the MCU after I I really like the Captain America movies. Um, So I want the Spider-Man story, and then we're clearly getting this broader MCU stuff with the multiverse that's going to just affect everything. And, you know, we saw shades of it in Loki already and things like that. So it's, it's very exciting. And... You know, we've got these other two that we're going to talk about in a minute, but they're brand new to the franchise, and this is something we've seen before. Something familiar and comfortable from the MCU that we haven't had in a while, so I'm excited for that. Yep, and uh, I'm not. I'm curious to know if this is going to be like the full bore multiverse that they're getting ready for, right? Like Loki had the the sort of the introduction to the multiverse, and the new Doctor Strange movie is called the Multiverse of Madness. But the Spider Verse yeah. is something that's been a part of the Spider Man comics for years and even back in 2018 of course they had that animated film spider-man into the spider-verse which featured uh, the miles morales character or version of spider-man and that film was tremendous and it 
had we had a whole bunch of spider characters in there, including this the spectacular spider ham Peter Porker. Yep. Uh, so that was wonderful. So maybe this is just their way of kind of easing their way into the multiverse. But either way, I am so excited to see all three Spider-Men take on the variety of villains. Because even though that Amazing Spider-Man 2 movie was not good, uh, the Electro effect was pretty cool, wasn't it? I don't know. I've uh, just erased that (laughs) from my memory. I got... Will Smith sent me one of the little men in black things, and I just like, I was like, all right, just delete that from the old memory <laughs> bags, please. Okay. I, I really can't remember that movie at all, except that I thought it was incredibly stupid. Yeah, it was bad. Uh, also, this week for Marvel, actually, I guess this was late last week, just days before releasing the Spider Man trailer, Marvel released the final trailer for Eternals. Five years ago, Thanos erased half of the population of the universe. But the people of this planet brought everyone back with a snap of a finger. The sudden return of the population provided the necessary energy for the emergence to begin. How long do we have? Seven days. All right. So there's a lot to unpack here. There's a lot to learn about the Eternals. And if you really want to go down the rabbit hole, I recommend uh, New Rock Stars on YouTube. They go through these trailers with a fine tooth comb and give you every Easter egg and explain everything that you need to know. But I'll just give you the Coles notes here. Because much like the Guardians of the Galaxy, when that was first announced, I knew nothing about the Galaxy, the Guardians then, and I knew nothing about the Eternals when this was announced. So this trailer reveals a little bit more of their story. Uh, First, the Eternal story spans thousands of years. They're immortal. We see them in the trailer arrive on this massive ship that looks like a stealth bomber, uh, as though it was carved out of granite. They are super powerful. And as, you know, the question is, where were they during the Infinity War? Well, they have sort of kept to themselves, more or less. Uh, Well, here, I'll just fire this off for more explanation. We're Eternals. We came here 7,000 years ago to protect humans from the deviants. Why didn't you guys help fight Thanos? Or any war, all the other terrible things throughout history? We were instructed not to interfere in any human conflicts unless deviants are involved. By who? By a really big celestial being. So the Eternals were created by the Celestials. Um, Celestials just picture like a really giant space guy. That's a Celestial. I don't know much about them either. But the Celestials created the Eternals uh, to protect themselves and their experiments on Earth. And one of the groups they were designed to protect against is the Deviants, which is a product of the same experimentation that the Celestials used to create the Eternals. But unlike the Eternals, the Deviants evolve, and they've evolved in a bad way. The movie's directed by this year's best director at the Oscars, Chloe Zhao, and has a stellar cast, including Angelina Jolie and Song 
Salma Hayek from Game of Thrones, Rob Stark, a.k.a. actor Richard Madden. He plays an Eternal who's like Superman. He flies super strong, shoots lasers out of his eyes. Gemma Chan is in it, Kumail Nanjiani, and Jon Snow is in it too, Kit Harington. He's not an Eternal, but his character's name is Dane Whitman, who is another hero from the Marvel Universe we've yet to meet, the Black Knight. So that looks cool, and it debuts November 5th. And don't forget, just days away from the release of Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. For thousands of years, the Ten Rings gave our family legendary power. My son, now they call to you. I'm not who you think I am. Marvel Studios Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Rated PG-13. If I die, it's your fault. September 3rd. That's an interesting release date, September 3rd, because that's Labor Day weekend, and Labor Day weekend tends to be one of the worst box office weekends of the year. So I'm curious to see how well it will do that weekend. The early reactions to the film have been overwhelmingly positive, saying it has some of the best action and fight scenes of any Marvel movie, that it's surprisingly emotional and touching. And with it being the first Marvel movie led by an Asian superhero, it is going to be a massive international success. So we're hoping to have have a review for you on that next week. I haven't seen the email yet from Disney Plus. Have you, Jeff? Nope, not yet. Not on that one. I think that September 3rd, that Labor Day weekend, like you said, it tends to be one of the worst box office weekends of the year. So I would imagine that Disney's looking for, you know, a slam dunk. Oh, we broke the Labor Day record because it won't be that hard to break. Ooh, good point. That can give them more publicity yeah. as they uh, continue to ramp up with Eternals and Spider-Man and Doctor Strange comes out early next year. So it's going to be an exciting time if you are a fan of Marvel. But up next, we are switching from Marvel to the Doctor of Thugonomics himself, John Cena. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes. We're actually going to hold off on the Doctor of Thugonomics. We'll do that in our next segment because we want to tell you what's new in theaters this week. Candyman. And the legend is, if we say his name five times while looking in the mirror, we could summon him. Summon the Candyman. Hell no. Candyman. Anthony, no. Candyman. Stop. I don't want to get creeped out in my new apartment before bed. Black people don't need to be summoning. No. I dare you. Don't say that. Say his name. Candyman. You better not do that last one. Candyman. Candyman. You want to be a part of the story, right? No. Say his name. Candyman. I left that little stinger in there just for you, Jeff. With the creepy sound. Thanks. You're welcome. <laughs> it works. Yeah. Jeff, Jeff loves it when I uh, do scary movies in our show. But uh, Jordan God. Peele is one of the writers and producers of this film, which serves... <laughs> excuse me. Which serves as a spiritual sequel to the 1992 original about a guy whose name you say five times and he'll come gut you with his hook for a hand. That movie was creepy, but I remember thinking... Yep. You, did, you saw it? Oh, I saw it. Oh, wow, do you still have nightmares against, about the Candyman? I, I try not to think about it. I saw it against my will. It was a peer pressure thing. There was like 
15 or 20 of us in high school in somebody's basement and they wanted to watch it and turn out all the lights. And I just like sat in the corner and like curled up in a ball. And I would, I kept trying to pepper the movie with like my, my wiseacre comments or whatever to <laughs> get people to laugh. So it wouldn't be so damn tense watching the thing. And then people were going to the bathroom and looking in the mirror and saying Candyman's name five times. And it was, that was one of the worst nights of my life. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> well, I remember thinking it was really creepy, but it got kind of weird at the end. So I should really watch that again because I haven't seen it probably since around 1992, 1993. So this movie, here's the description. For as long as residents can remember the housing projects of Chicago's Cabrini Green neighborhood, were terrorized by a word-of-mouth ghost story about a supernatural killer with a hook for a hand in present day, a decade after the last of the Cabrini Towers were torn down. Visual artist Anthony McCoy, played by Yahya Abdul-Mateen II, who was in HBO's Watchmen and the movie Us, and his partner, gallery director Brianna Cartwright. Uh, they move into this luxury loft condo in Cabrini, now gentrified beyond recognition and inhabited by upwardly mobile millennials. Well, his painting career is on the brink of stalling, so he has this encounter with a Cabrini Green old-timer, learns more about Candyman, decides to dive into the world, and uh, he unleashes a terrifying wave of violence that puts him on a collision course with destiny. It's getting amazing reviews. It's at 89% at last check on Rotten Tomatoes. And Tony Todd is said to be back as the Candyman. So if you like Tony Todd in the first one, you might need to check this out. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff, he's Brett, and the summer of Cena continues with John Cena's third movie in as many months release this weekend, Disney Plus's Vacation Friends. Also stars Lil Rail Howery, Yvonne Orji, and Meredith Hagner. Excuse me, this is a private event. Oh, it's cool, we know the bride and groom. We met these two animals down in Mexico. <laughs> Why does the salt not taste salty? Oh, because it's cocaine. What? I don't do drugs. Even on vacation? Okay, look, we just got a container. <laughs> this only happened because you said see you later. I said it without meaning it like any decent person would. Good evening, everyone. What is he doing up there? Marcus and I crossed paths in Mexico. You guys know each other intimately. This is the best wedding I've ever been to. Put that bottle on your head. Babe, he's not serious. We've been drinking. <laughs> Count it! You hit the bottle this time! What? The... Howry, you remember, is the world's greatest TSA agent in the movie Get Out. Orgy, best known from the show Insecure. And Hagner is new to me. She's worked quite a bit, judging by her IMDb page, but nothing I've seen. I did notice that she's married to Wyatt Russell from the Falcon and the Winter Soldier show. But John Cena is the big star of Vacation Friends. It's his third movie this summer after Fast and Furious 9 and The Suicide Squad. This one, less of a blockbuster. It's a Hulu movie in the U.S. and in Canada. It's out now on Disney+. Plus. There's star division there, the grown-up arm of the streamer. And that's a good thing because this is most definitely a movie for grown-ups unless you think your kid would be interested in watching people trip on magic mushrooms or something. Howry and Orgy play Marcus and Emily, a couple from Chicago who go on vacation to Mexico. Howry is an uptight sword and has an elaborate plan to propose to Emily. His plans are botched, but they get engaged anyways. And in doing so, meet Ron and Kyla, played by Cena Hagner. That's all in the first, like, three minutes of the movie. And, uh, uh, 
Cena and Hagner are laid-back party people, the polar opposite of Marcus. Emily tries to get him to loosen up a bit, and indeed, before long, the four are kind of inseparable and doing increasingly crazy things. Now I'm talking about jokes about irresponsible gunplay, cocaine, like we heard in the clip there. And of course, there's some sex stuff going on. It goes too far to remain credible, but it was pretty funny. And sneakily, it ends up being well-written enough to sort of sow seeds early on that pay off later in the movie, both comedically and story-wise. A lot of raunchy comedies wouldn't even bother putting that much thought into it. So it was kind of impressive in that regard. And then after this initial vacation section, the action returns to America months later at Marcus and Emily's wedding, which they did not invite Ron and Kyla to because they were just vacation friends. Marcus figuring that when the vacation is over, so should the friendship be. And he just doesn't deem Ron and Kyla responsible enough to be around in the real world. But guess who shows up at the wedding anyways? You got it. It's Ron and Kyla and hijinks ensue. And it's all very predictable. Emily's father hates Marcus, but guess what? He loves Ron. All these sorts of things we've seen a hundred times before. Emily's father, by the way, played by the great Robert Wisdom, who played uh, Bunny Colvin on the show The Wire. But again, even though the story is formulaic and predictable, the specific beats that they play do feel fresher than the deserve to. They come up with some crazy scenarios and some tangled logic to tie it all together. But again, there's some sneaky good writing in there that makes the movie flow nicely. Things that should feel clunky come off more as a natural progression. Things that are predictable play as more as inevitable. And I did laugh quite a few times. Uh, Lil Rel Howery cracks me up. Uh, it's not a laugh riot. I don't think it'll make any top 10 lists at the end of the year, but it's that streaming thing. I mean, if this was playing in theaters, I would probably say don't waste your money. But if you already have the Disney Plus subscription. It is free, so why not check it out? If, you know, after 20 minutes goes by, you haven't laughed yet and don't care to see what happens next to these people, just turn it off. If you do laugh a few times but aren't sure about the story, I would say stick away with it because even though they're not breaking any new ground here. The story's thought out well enough to be satisfying in the end. So that's Vacation Friends. It's not great, but it's not bad. Three couch cushions out of five. Brett? So John Cena... What do you think of him overall as, uh, you know, now that he's moving more and more into acting? Now that I've seen him more than anyone else on my TV <laughs> or in a theater screen this year, you know what? He's been growing on me. I wasn't, I really wasn't sure about him at first, although he was, he had a really small part in Trainwreck that was really funny. Yeah. And uh, just in, in small doses, he has seemed good and. I'm getting used to him in, in bigger doses. I, I don't mind him at all. I think he's a pretty good actor. I'll, you want to just compare him to The Rock right away. It's just because they both came from wrestling. Yeah. And I don't know what other wrestlers have gone on to proper acting careers like this. Like I know Jesse Ventura is in Predator and did a couple of other things. And Hulk Hogan did like a handful of just the world's worst movies. But for actual guys that can actually do it and go the distance. I think we got The Rock and Cena so far. And there are different vibes. I think The Rock is much more concerned about The Rock's image than John Cena seems. He seems like he's up for anything, and that makes it a little bit more fun with that guy. Yeah, Edge, uh, a.k.a. his real name, Adam Copeland, he, I know he was in a movie that you watched co-starring Kelsey Grammer. Money Plane? Yeah. Yeah, Money Plane. And that was awful, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. That's from the... That belongs in the Hulk Hogan pile. But he was also one of the. He had a pretty major role in Vikings, which was uh, from you know from uh, history, and uh, I quite liked him in that. So he definitely has oh, some wow. acting in him. I hope we see him in more stuff. But uh, yeah, in terms of that mainstream viability, The Rock and Cena uh, are probably the best shot that wrestling has to make the transition to acting. So, uh, but yeah, that sounds kind of fun. So, all right, what else you got? Yeah. Here? 
Like I said, check it out. It's on Disney+. Plus. Also new on Disney+, Plus, a show that debuts this coming Tuesday. Steve Martin, Martin Short, and Selena Gomez star in Only Murders in the Building. This doesn't make sense. Where do we start? At the very beginning. I got in the elevator with these two weirdos. Then Tim got in the elevator. Approximately 12 minutes from now, I will be murdered. Tim Kono's death has been ruled a homicide, and apparently one of you did it. I can't stop thinking about this. Neither can I. We should do our own true crime podcast. We're gonna go down there and look around for clues. You wanna come? Do I wanna break into a dead guy's apartment and go through all his Sounds like an afternoon. Right now, the only thing that matters is that there's a killer on the loose in our building. Oh, that is a very good line. Badly delivered, but a good line. Only Murders in the Building is a comedy murder mystery series with a twist of drama, and it's just fantastic. It's a 10-episode series. I've seen the first three episodes, and it's been consistently good. Steve Martin and Martin Short have become one of the great all-time comedy teams. They've toured together the past several years, and of course, they starred in several movies together, you know, decades ago, things like Three Amigos and the Father of the Bride movies. Now, with Only Murders in the Building, they're back in a new way. I don't think either of them have really been on a TV series before outside of guest appearances or sketch comedy shows, things like that. Here, they play neighbors in the Arconia, a fairly upscale New York condo building. Martin is a semi-retired actor. He had a cop show 20 years ago that he's still sort of known for, while Short is a Broadway director whose light has also faded over time. And they have this other neighbor played by Selena Gomez. They're not quite sure what she does or how she has come to live in their building. I don't think I've ever seen uh, Selena Gomez act in anything before, nor have I listened to her music, but I know who she is. And uh, she does hold her own on screen with these guys. And there are some good generation gap style jokes too. At one point, Steve Martin tells Martin Short, oh, I'm going to call her. Or should I text her? And then Short says, yeah, they seem to be irritated by phone calls. That's pretty funny. Um, now, what the three of them have in common is that they're all diehard fans of this true crime podcast, and they bond over that one night after the emergency alarms go off in the building and they're all forced to evacuate. They huddle around and listen to the newest episode of this podcast together. And then, as it turns out, the reason they had to evacuate was because, dun-dun-dun, there was a murder in their building. And it doesn't take them long to get the idea that they should do some amateur investigating of their own, of the murder, and launch their own true crime podcast. And that's what the series is. It's them investigating this murder and producing their podcast about it. At one point, there's another murder in a nearby park, and Martin Short suggests they branch out and investigate that murder as well, to which Steve Martin retorts, no, only murders in the building, which is where the title comes from. So the show has two of the greatest comic minds of all time bouncing off each other, as well as a legitimate murder mystery happening. It's, you know, like they read my mind and devised a show tailor made for me. The most surprising part so far, I think, has been the dramatic elements, which I wasn't really expecting just because those guys are often so very goofy. Uh, we have seen Steve Martin do some dramatic work or comedy movies that have a dramatic side, but Martin Short's performance, I find, is really uh, connecting, and I don't think I've ever seen him be serious for even two seconds he's always uh you know such a class clown type and dialed up to 11 but here he uh dials it back a bit he's still very funny but he's also can be uh, serious when he needs to be it actually makes you wonder if maybe hollywood missed out on something by not giving 
Martin Short a chance to flex in a proper drama earlier in his career. Who knows? Maybe he never wanted to do that. I don't know. Now, the dramatic elements mostly pertain to their personal lives, which we are learning in pieces and which they are keeping secret from each other, a lot of stuff. And like any good mystery, the unspooling of all this information that we and that they get and need is where the fun lies. It, it hits on all cylinders, both the murder mystery part and the reveal of who these three people are and what makes them tick. It's all genuinely intriguing. There's a lot of great humor in this series and a lot of heart. It's also very clever. Basically, everything you could want. And it looks great. They found this beautiful old building to be the setting. That sort of upscale New York City stuff is something I always love seeing on screen. And you can't have a big building like that, of course, without its residents. Obviously, given the nature of the show, we meet a lot of the neighbors as our heroes investigate. And there are a lot of interesting characters, including uh, people played by Amy Ryan and Nathan Lane, and even Sting, Sting playing himself. Uh, there's also this older lady who swears like a sailor, which for some reason I find extremely funny. It's a good batch of characters, and of course, one of them must be the killer. Uh, I would say it is a must-watch. It starts on Tuesday on Disney+, and again, it's called Only Murders in the Building. Definitely that, check that one out. That sounds like fun. I might have to. I wasn't going to watch that, but based on that review, I might have no choice. I think part of the reason why I wasn't going to watch it is because I've got so much stuff to watch, but I've put all the new stuff i got to watch aside to finally visit what is seen as one of the best TV shows ever made. I'll tell you about that next. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes. Before I tell you about the big show that I finally started watching after so many years, i got to tell you, I was caught way off guard on Wednesday by... By American Horror Story, because I'm on Disney+. Plus. I was getting ready to watch the latest episode of the Marvel show, What If? And I see something called American Horror Stories. American Horror Stories. So I look into it. I didn't even know this was a thing. They did this seven-episode anthology series where each episode is a, its own unique self-contained story. So this already debuted a couple of months ago on Hulu, and I guess it's wrapped up its run. So now they're making it available on Disney+. Plus. So the first two episodes are available on Disney+. Plus. I read some of the reviews, and they were not favorable. But uh, I enjoyed what I saw of that first episode, so I got to watch that. But that was released on the same day that the new season of American Horror Story debuted. It's called American Horror Story Double Feature. So that was on Wednesday, so I went from having no American Horror Story to watch to four hours. Uh, so i got to f- figure out where I'm going to find time to watch <laughs> that. Especially when I am now hooked on this next show that I started watching. Just this past week, I've been meaning to watch it for years, but it just fell by the wayside like so many other shows because there's just too much to watch out there. But upon the urging of one of my colleagues, I finally checked out Deadwood. No law at all in Deadwood. There's a lot of gold out here. Something terrible is going to happen. You're going to find out something now about yourselves and your fellow man. No one gets out alive. Welcome to Deadwood. Run for your life. 
They ran for three seasons on HBO, 12 episodes each from March 2004 to August 2006. And then they released a movie in 2019, which is set 10 years after the third season ends. I watched the first season and I'm a couple episodes into the second season. So this starts in 1876. People flee to Deadwood, South Dakota with a dream of getting rich, but not everybody can survive the chaos and confusion the town has to offer due to the lack of law facilities. And it's, uh, I mean, there are some real-life Deadwood residents in this show. Seth Bullock and Al Swearingen are played by Timothy Oliphant and Ian McShane. Oliphant is a, a lawman turned hardware salesperson, and Ian McShane runs a local saloon. And McShane is just a sleazebag. He is one of the meanest characters on television, but so f- also fascinating. And as as that season goes along, you can see that there's the inkling of compassion there. Uh, per- my mom watched this show, and she loved it. She loved it, but she told me, she said, you'll like it. They swear a lot. And Wow. Like, I knew this show was was filthy in terms of its language, but <laughs> nothing could have prepared me. I, I, I looked it up. I was doing some research because there's one word in particular in the, yeah. the 10th episode, uh, the Mr. Wu episode, um, and they say it, I think, 36 times. But that's that's a drop in the bucket compared to... They say the F word 3,000 times over the course of the series. That's amazing. That is amazing. <laughs> but it's not like it's not uh, like a grossly obscene. It's not just juvenile. Like the the language is almost. It's quite poetic at times because they're still very well mannered, in spite of the fact that everyone might kill you at any moment. The set is tremendous. the The ensemble cast is amazing. Like it, honestly, it really is one of the best shows I've ever watched. And the first season was the lowest reviewed in terms of the the three seasons. I think it was 85%, and then it went up to like 98% and 96%. So if you've never watched Deadwood hmm. and you want to check it out, it's available on Crave. we got 30 seconds, Jeff. I can't remember. Have you seen any any of Deadwood? I've seen the first season, and I did enjoy it, but I, I don't know why I didn't move immediately on to season two. I know it's a couple years ago since I've seen season one, so but now that you've, you've rekindled my interest here, Brett, I think I will start up on season. I'll, I'll read what happened in the finale of season one and then start on season two. That's all the time we've got. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes, and remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother. Don't bother.